It was a night of fast and furious action inside the Apex in Las Vegas, and it truly was the night of comebacks. We already talked a little bit about Darren Elkins in our you know preamble here, but TJ Dillashaw is the man who gets it done in our main event. A split decision nod goes the way of the former UFC Bantamweight champion. It's been a long time coming, Pearl, for Dillashaw to get back inside the octagon. A lot of adversity uh, outside of the cage, and tonight he comes back and, and really proved that he has what it takes to not not only hang and beat someone like Corey Sandhagen, but get through all sorts of different hurdles that uh, life and I think uh, fighting uh, can, can present you. He was cut badly in the second round. I thought this fight was going to get stopped, but no, TJ Dillashaw is able to reign supreme. Your thoughts on the return of the former Bantamweight King? Oh my goodness. Talk about adversity. Talk about a challenging uh, Sandhagen is impressive. He is only going to grow from this fight. He put on an absolute amazing performance. I mean, both gentlemen did, but TJ really did come through the, the through the mud tonight and and really showcased why he is who he is and, and proved, I believe, to himself most importantly, but to the rest of the world that that he is a force to be reckoned with and he is very well back. And yes, you you said the cut. There was there was the knee injury that I saw in the first right. in the first round. I mean that I thought I I definitely thought I I think he's hurt his knee in some sort of way. Um, you know, Sanhagen really did crank on his his ankle and his leg at the end of that and the closing closing seconds of that first round. And you saw as soon as TJ walked off, he couldn't walk. He had a hard time kind of putting weight on that for the next couple rounds and then kind of got past, I think, think it mentally. And even, you know, with all of the damage that was done on his face, this is something that I question, especially with someone like TJ Dillashaw, who has fought absolute savages for the last, I don't know, eight years. He's right. fought the highest, highest and the best fighters in the, in the world in his division. And, and you know that he's taken damage. He's had wars. Yes, he was hit and, and, and things happened to him. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Corey Sanhagen, but it does make me think, think about and wonder, is that the damage over the years? And, you know, and is it easier? Is, is, was he cut up that easily and, and beat up like that? Was it really hard shots that he took that were extremely damaging? Or is that scar tissue? Are these cuts that were from previous wars that are reopened? And that's something that I think uh, people don't really realize is when you do get badly cut, you can have that cut reopen even many months or even years away from that initial cut. Like uh, Nick Diaz has had to have uh, surgery on his eyebrow bones to, to actually shave down the, the brow bone because the amount of uh, scar tissue he had on top of it, it, it was just ripe to, to be split open time and time again. And Dillashaw talked about how he uh, believed that that cut over uh, his right eye was from the, the previous training camp. And that's another thing, too. This fight was supposed to happen earlier this year. Obviously, Dillashaw had the uh, suspension, but it was, uh, you know, added upon with the, that fight falling through the first time. So it really was closer to two, two and a half years or so since Dillashaw w- was in there. And man, Corey Sanhagen came out with a fight because he came with that that flying knee. We we all know what he did to uh, Frankie Edgar earlier this year. It might win knockout of the year. Pearl, I thought he was going to be in line for possibly winning submission of the year because he goes for that flying knee, fails to get it, and then ends up in this inverted triangle type position where obviously Dillashaw got out, but it was it was pretty deep. You could see Dillashaw had to really be careful in that unorthodox uh, position because Sanhagen was was putting the squeeze on. Oh my goodness, his jujitsu, his scrambling ability, his awareness on the ground and in the grappling, his attacks. They were on point. I mean, Corey showed tonight why he's at the top of this division. He truly belongs there. And yes, he he was throwing on constant leg attacks, especially in that first round. He did. I thought he did a really good job with dealing with the takedowns by inverting and going for those Granby rolls to it, it offset a lot of TJ's um, offense, especially his wrestling and grappling offense. And so, yeah, I thought Corey's grappling and his jujitsu looked extremely, extremely high level tonight. That rear naked triangle was in. 
I, I don't know what happened. I think, you know, maybe he didn't want to force it. It was the first round and he didn't want to, to tire himself out or tire his legs out, but it was definitely sunk in very deep. Um, and even those leg locks, that leg lock was in pretty, pretty deep, I think, in the end of the first as well. I love this highlight here of Corey Sanhagen because he's like battling through a submission before he gets his offense going. And every time I hit it, I'm like, oh, man, did I play the wrong clip? Is this not Corey Sanhagen doing work? No, it is. Um, but one thing I will say about Sanhagen in that inverted triangle, um, he, he he did sort of uh, decide to bail on it and then go for uh, a, a leg attack mm-hmm. on Dillashaw. And that's one thing that I wonder if it's not sort of a, a detriment to Sanhagen because th- there's a, a risk and reward ratio in the style that he fights. You know, he was going for spinning attacks. He would give up takedowns or give up position when he would do that. But when he would land, like he landed a really nice spinning back fist, I think in the fourth round, mm-hmm. um, you know, those opportunities are only there because he's willing to take the risk. But when it's a, a very close fight like this tonight, where it was a split decision, does the offensive attack of Sandhagen ever serve him as a detriment because the judges I mean this was a very close fight I had no idea how it was going to be scored when we went you know heard the final bell does Sandhagen potentially give away rounds or give away quote-unquote literal or proverbial points by being so aggressive and sometimes taking those risks whoa those words I was like sorry (laughs) sorry I'm just kidding let let me simplify it let's rewind Does Corey Sanhagen take too many risks and does that impact decisions? You know, is it risky what he did? Did he give up some positions? Absolutely. But at the same time, he's that style of fighter. We just saw him knock out Frankie Edgar with the flying knee. I mean, and he landed that flying knee a couple times on TJ tonight. Right. There were a couple times in those inverted positions that he was going to in the grappling where you, I, I saw uh, TJ kind of hit the mat really fast, face first, because he wasn't prepared for that. Now, was could he have done that maybe in the, the later rounds when maybe TJ wasn't as sharp and wasn't as on point as he was in the first and second round? Possibly. But if, I, I thought he did well, and especially with inverting and going to the legs. It's a great counter to when you're attacking the upper body, when you're going for an armbar, when you're going for triangles, the 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 common defense is you pull out is you stand up and you pull out. And what that does is that exposes your legs and in MMA, especially in MMA. Yes. And you give up leg when you, when you, excuse me, when you attack for legs, you give up positioning. However, very few people can deal with leg locks and leg lock counter, like just chain attacks, you know, leg locks, I still believe are developing in MMA. And so I, I thought it was a great game plan. It was a great strategy to to attack the upper body in the, in the jiu-jitsu. And then the counter, the next move would be to go to the legs. However, the timing may have been off. I, 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 I wonder how that would have, how he would have done had he have kept all of that offense for the later rounds when TJ was a little, was a little bit, more tired when he had the cuts and, and, and all of the frustration of dealing with what he was dealing with and the damage that he was taken. He had taken tonight. Would that have worked and been much more effective later on? So I, I guess I'm curious. I mean, like I said, I didn't really have a problem either way with the decision. It was a hell of a fight, one that uh, I think I'll probably watch again tonight before I go to sleep because it was that entertaining. But what was the deciding factor, do you think, for the judges for two of them to go with, with TJ Dillashaw? Oh my God. It was an incredible fight. Like talk about uh, going to school and taking the class and a crash course yeah. in MMA and counters and game plan and strategy and throwing that strategy out the window and coming back with a new one. I mean, they were just both back and forth toe to toe with each other in, in all areas of mixed martial arts. It was truly a work of art tonight. Um, you know, I think what the, the biggest deciding factor or, or was, was one that was control. Ultimately control. Sure. I believe that TJ did come forward a lot more. He he was a little bit more aggressive in his strikes when he was coming forward and landing these big shots. He looked like he was more aggressive in those shots. Um, and I also believe he, the control against the cage was a big portion of this. He was able to hit some takedowns, not all of them. And when he wasn't hitting takedowns, he was controlling Corey against the fence. Yep. And whether or not it's effective or you're attacking and you're, you're going for submissions or you're going for a knockout, you're still with 100% in control. And he had Corey's back every single round. He was in, in, in perfect dominant position and in control in these positions. And I believe those, the, his, his forward pressure and, and those that 
cage exchange, the the cage grappling exchanges yeah. were the deciding factor in this fight. Daniel Cormier brought up the fact that they don't, you know, count takedowns when you go for a takedown, but you end up just taking the back and you're still in that standing position. And it, it sounded kind of odd that he would say uh, they don't, you know, count those as takedowns. Well, they're not takedowns, but right. in, in a way, DC's right. They're almost just as good as takedowns because your opponent has to basically be purely defensive. They have to try to fight the hands around your waist. You're pressed up against the cage. And we know, you know, we know what the, the criteria is for judging in mixed martial arts. It's effective striking and grappling and then aggression and cage control in that order. But cage control, while it is the, the last on the uh, hierarchy of criteria, it speaks volumes in fights like we saw tonight when judges are forced to go, okay, uh, it was pretty much a wash everywhere else. It's those moments of, of dominance. Even if you're not unleashing a lot of punishment and offense, it's just the fact that you're controlling everything in that instance. And I think that's one thing that Dillashaw really did sort of lean on tonight. One thing I did worry, though, for a, a variety of reasons, Pearl, was that cut over that right eye uh, of TJ. Because one, obviously, can he see? He, he kind of went with this whole like defense like this. He was just holding his hand there for a while because I don't think he was really able to see anything coming from the left side of Sandhagen. But also, too, in, in close fights like this, sometimes I think judges actually reward damage as far as like aesthetics are concerned. You're not going to score a fight for someone just because they were able to cut their opponent generally. But again, everything matters. Like Daniel Cormier said, uh, even tonight, your body language when the final bell rings is so important. It, granted, it's not in the criteria, but you want to do everything you can, even if it's just posturing like that, to prove to the judges, look, I won this fight, and that was one thing I worried about with Dillashaw was, can he really lay claim to a close round when he's constantly wincing or, or worrying about you know the blood from that cut in his eye? Oh, my God. The cut, definitely. And it was in such a unique spot where, you know, typically you see the cuts on the outside of the eye. I mean, this was on the inside of the eye, so the, the blood is going right into his eye or, or right through his this his where he can see. Yeah. It's also kind of the common place – Typically, where, where people tend to aim when they're when they're throwing their punches is straight down the pipe. So they're aiming for your nose. They're aiming for your lips. They're aiming for this area right here. So that's exactly where that cut was. So, you know, you could only imagine that it was hard to see down the down straight down the pipe. Yep. And Corey did a great job of capitalizing on that. And he was just throwing these long, vicious shots straight down the pipe. And and even and oh, my God, you cannot take away from TJ's his movement. He has impeccable movement. But. Corey was still able to capitalize with those long, straight strikes. And I do believe that a lot of those had gotten through because of that cut. That cut was definitely interfering with some of TJ's uh, ability to see and possibly even breathe. Yeah, and that's another uh, fantastic uh, point, too. You know, a cut uh, while, while you bleed, you know, depending on where it is, if it's in the nose area, uh, it, it can impact your breathing. Uh, you know, it, it can impact your composure as well. I mean, there are yeah. a lot of athletes that will have really long careers and they don't get cut until, you know, their 15th fight or, or cut like that. And that was one of the more odd cuts, I think, that I've really ever seen because, as you mentioned, it was more in the middle of his eye. Usually you see those cuts on the side or the, or the way that it will... Uh, sort of slice it, it, it's much more manageable this was like dead center uh, in the middle of the eye and you know the the doctors did a a good job allowing tj to fight through that the cut man in between rounds was was able to manage it uh the best he could and you know credit again to dillashaw for weathering uh, through that adversity um looking at you know where tj comes out of this he gets the uh, uh split decision razor thin uh you know two and a half years uh, away but mm -hmm. you know he he's pretty adamant that he believes that he wants uh a title fight he feels that he deserves it and uh i don't know man like i have a hard reason or i have a hard time finding a reason why you wouldn't push dillashaw back uh into title contention sooner rather than later 100 percent. i mean he just defeated number two uh, right. absolutely i think that he's put himself in a perfect position for that uh now how long is he out what what damage was done tonight i mean that was a war tonight and and you know we can't look past that he, he's gonna need some time to heal up for sure and then we have to see how the the championship fight plays out right and when that plays out so when that happens if if he's healed up and, and it's his turn absolutely but if not then i think that you know it's been two and a half years the way the sport's moving it's faster than ever it would be probably in his best uh, what's the word give me, a word. Give me a word. Yeah, to take another fight and just keep it moving and, and put, 
you know, he said he came out and he was he made some mistakes in the beginning. You could see in between the rounds because they put a lot of uh, video time on his corner. Yep. And you could see him processing the fight and adjusting. It was such a magical it was it's magic to watch this. And and you see him after the first round now he comes out and the corner is telling him to calm down, to breathe, because like you said, composure. And and you can see like, holy shit, I'm back in a fight. I'm back right. in a fight. And then as the rounds went on. He's now he's actually holding conversation with his with his coaches. Yep. He's talking. He's his breathing is his down. You could tell he was slowly getting used to and comfortable back into the fight. So I think it'd be in his best interest to to take another fight and like you said, top five if he can, just to, to keep it moving. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Dominic Cruz is obviously adamant about ring rust not being a real thing. But if I were to point to what factors really are uh, what contribute to ring rust, it, it's twofold. One, I think that a fight provides a different type of timing that you just don't get unless you're sparring ridiculously hard in the gym. And some people do that, but I, I am looking at how hard you would have to spar to mimic the fight that we saw tonight. Uh, probably not good for the longevity uh, of your career. But the other thing is as you mentioned look at Dillashaw in, in the first uh, you know couple of rounds mentally it, it takes a moment to find comfort in that chaos and mm -hmm. you know I, I think Dillashaw definitely settled into what was a, a hell of a fight and one that you're going to look back on and be like yeah that's I mean Daniel Cormier said that's as, as good as it gets in, in a roundabout way in a lot of ways uh, that's true like mixed martial arts fights don't get much better than what we saw tonight over the course uh, of 25 Five minutes, which also brings me to my next sort of question. Obviously, Corey Sandhagen didn't get the, uh, you know, his hand raised tonight, but one judge did side with him. I mentioned it was razor close. If the decision did go the other way, I wouldn't be sitting here bemoaning it uh, by any means. Um, but where does he go from here? Obviously, there is some fleshing out at the top of the division between Jan and, and Sterling, and now Dillashaw is, is potentially that number one uh, contender to, to the winner there. But does Sandhagen take a significant step backwards? as far as the pecking order goes or or is he still you know kind of on that top shelf you know side by side with Dillashaw because the fight was as as close as it was you know it, this in my opinion is one of those fights that you're gonna watch you're gonna go back and watch and you're gonna be like shit Corey won and then you're gonna go back and watch and you're like wait a minute did TJ win I, I think TJ won and you're just gonna go back and forth because that's how good this fight was this right is how competitive this fight was um, I think that Corey did a lot of amazing things in there. Um, you know, I, he, he does have some adjustments. We all do. These are learning lessons. He's still fairly young in his career. He's he's not going anywhere. Um, I think maybe, you know, just to kind of get back in there with with maybe number three, number four or, or, or even number five, just kind of get in there, work out some of the kinks maybe that he felt tonight and and come back and just be ready to take to take the opportunity because an opportunity can present itself. Again, we don't know how, uh, how, how much damage TJ took tonight. Right. I do think that there was some serious damage taken tonight. I mean, the, the, the knee is, I think really the X factor. I mean, I know it happened in the first round and he, he still fought a, you know, another 20 minutes after that, but you know, knees and yep. things like that. We're not doctors. We're not sitting here telling you, you know, what is fact and what isn't because you know, you never really know. And we'll see what right. uh, happens with, with Dillashaw on the other side of his, um, you know, post fight physical here. Um, our, our Twitch channel blowing up. If you have questions again, please feel free to put them uh, in the chat and we'll, we'll get those on the air. But right now everyone is pretty much arguing scorecards which I don't blame you. I'm looking over at MMADecisions.com. Uh, their media scores uh, lean more towards uh, Corey Sandhagen, but again, it, it was incredibly close. And uh, I think uh, I think there are a lot of people that are probably going to turn in different scorecards. They may even share the same score, but when you go round by round, there's probably a lot of dissension uh, in how those rounds shook out. And uh, again, I, I hate to be cliche here, but uh, there really were no losers in that fight. Yes, Dillashaw's the one who gets his hand raised. Yes, he gets his win bonus but uh for my money uh cory sandhagen came out gave a hell of a fight and if he got his hand raised uh i wouldn't be uh bemoaning it uh, at all so we'll see what happens uh moving forward one thing i i do want to talk about with dillashaw we, we talked a lot about his fan reaction coming into this fight the apex it, it wasn't full of fans there were some vips there though uh, as they're giving that uh, unique experience away if you want to try to get to las vegas and, and be uh, in a special place you can check that out uh, i think details on ufc.com but with a win like this the comeback that dillashaw had 
I mean, you really got to be dedicated to hating TJ Dillashaw if you aren't somewhat of a fan of his after this performance, <laughs> no? I mean, yeah, but then you've got, look at how close this fight was. And you see, you see how there's a big debate. And there's, it, arguably, there should be, there should be this big debate because this fight was that close. I will say this, like, if you, if I could go back and maybe think of some things where Corey might give himself a hard time is, Maybe, you know, he did such a great job with landing his long range strikes, right? And he was landing these, uh, TJ offsets his angles a lot. He comes in and he offsets. He never really ever attacks in a straight line and forward. He always comes at these side angles. So coming at these side angles, like he, and he attacks moving in that direction. He'd never come straight forward. So he's moving this way. And one thing that Corey was able to capitalize on very well tonight was still landing and hitting at, in these awkward angles and positions. He, you could tell he studied, he knew TJ's movement and was able to deal with that. And he did, he was landing a, a lot of the strike, the exchanges. He was the one landing first because of his range, because of his length. So I think if he can go back and give himself some sort of a, a, you know, a hard time, it was maybe had he have stepped forward and been just a little bit more aggressive. He's accurate. He's sharp. He's, he's fast and he was longer. So maybe ha if he would have stepped forward and, and came a little bit more aggressive, would that have helped the situation? Sure. So it's just, it's, you know, something to think about in this argument. Cause it is, it, it's a, it was such a great fight. It was such a competitive fight. Um, I lost the question that you gave, you asked me though. I'm sorry. I was... The question was, if you don't <laughs> like TJ Dillashaw, is your opinion changed because of the performance that he put on tonight? I know there are things that lead into it, the suspension and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm sorry. Like if you like fighting, you have to appreciate what TJ Dillashaw did tonight. And anytime he fights, I, I think you're crazy if you're not looking forward to seeing him take the octagon. For sure. I mean, for the, the true fight fans that are looking at this without emotion, absolutely. I mean, he, he literally had to dig out every ounce of heart and courage that he had tonight to weather the storms and to weather the adversity that he just went through. I mean, he went through hell tonight to, to get this win and to get this victory. And, and it's hard not to love someone like that that's been through so much, that's made decisions, hasn't made the best decisions. He paid for it. Right. You know, he, he, he served his consequences for his actions and his decisions. And here he is. He, he didn't lose sight. He didn't lose hope. He wanted to prove to himself and to everybody else that he is, he is a, a champion. And he did that tonight. He showcased that he is still one of the best in the world and that he deserves an, an opportunity at that belt. So it's hard to not love someone like that, that doesn't give up, that, do, that doesn't give in and take no for an answer. Ugh. But when you look at a razor sharp fight like this, of course, there's going to be people that are like Corey should have won. Corey right, won. Sure. So, but, but whether or not Sandhagen should have won to me, and maybe I'm different, has no impact on my enjoyment of seeing TJ Dillashaw compete because I know he brings a fight. And if he's standing in some in front of someone else that also brings a fight, we're going to have a hell of a fight. Right. So absolutely, and I agree. I agree 100. I think that he, for himself, he wrote he. He made some amends tonight, and that was really awesome to see. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people that look at it can, can, you know, the sports today. It's all about today. Right. What have you done for me today? And tonight, yeah. he gave us a show worth watching, a show worth sitting down and enjoying and having a great night. So hats off to him, absolutely. We talked about it on Wednesday, too. While, you know, people are unforgiving in this sport, mixed martial arts fans and sports fans in general, they love a comeback story. And for TJ Dillashaw's part, so far, so good uh, on his mm -hmm. comeback. Let's talk about the co-main event a little bit because we were originally oh supposed God. to see uh, Aspen Ladd take on Macy Chasson. Uh, that was not the case as uh, Chasson uh, suffered a, a very late injury and in the, in the bout was scrapped. So we got a new co-main event tonight when we saw Bantamweights take the octagon uh, when Kyler Phillips took on Holly and Paiva. Uh, Paiva uh, moving up a weight class uh, to 135 pounds, uh, formerly a, uh, a flyweight inside the UFC and this was a hell of a fight. We're talking about comebacks and and you know all sorts of, of crazy business. We'll we'll get to Darren Elkins again in a moment. But uh, I thought this fight was going to be over in, in round one because Kyler Phillips came out and, and put it on Paiva, but uh, the Brazilian showed his uh, strength and determination and came back and took home a majority decision. Oh my gosh! I, I, there were punches that you were like, "This fight's over." Right? I mean, they were just the exchanges that these two had. I mean, one would get hit and rocked, and and you would think like, "Oh my god!" Now he's he's hurt, and then he comes and he lands the same exact shot on on the other guy, and it was just it was such a an exciting back and forth fight. 
it was it was another hard one to like judge because they were so competitive in this one and it was such an exciting and fun fight to watch um but yeah overall i think that you know that paiva paiva Paiva, yep yeah, I thought Paiva. I definitely thought Paiva took that fight. Yeah, I, I did too. I thought at worst it might be a uh, a draw, but uh, I I agreed. I, I leaned towards him to to get his uh, hand raised tonight. Um, when I look at this fight for Paiva, moving up to 135 pounds, formerly fighting at 125, I, I was kind of you know thinking was the power and, and the size sort of the issue at first? Because I, I, I know, you know, we, we talk about like building a tolerance to punishment or, you know, chins can't really be remade. You can't, you know, train taking punishment. But uh, I was wondering if, if you know, Paiva fighting at 35 and tasting the power uh, of Phillips, if that maybe caught him off guard a little bit. Is there, I mean, you fought at multiple weight classes. Do you feel uh, a different uh, amount of damage when you're fighting at 125? Five, say compared to, to 115 absolutely i think that when you fight in the bigger weight classes uh yes they're typically stronger they're bigger so you have more mass to deal with however being the smaller fighter you're usually more elusive you're, you usually have speed and then you can also have you can you know go into your gas tank and go to your endurance uh smaller weight classes it's the opposite you're a right. little bit bigger you carry some power you probably can control a lot better because you do have that strength but you're not as quick and as elusive as, as the smaller fighter. So I think for everything that gives, you have to, you know, it's a, it balances out. And uh, I did, Paiva did a great job adjusting tonight. I mean, he did kind of look a little smaller, but I mean, he, he was still there every minute of the fight and coming back and, and, and doing what he needed to do to win tonight. So I thought that, and it does take time too, especially when you move up in a weight class. For me, when I moved up into 125 from 15, it took me a couple of fights to kind of get and feel natural in that weight class to, to get a little bit stronger and, and just kind of feel better at 10 pounds heavier. Right. So it does take some time to adjust to the, to the weight difference. There is, it's 10 more pounds that you're moving around. It's 10 more pounds that, that you have to kind of get used to having your body at. So um, maybe in a fight or two, he'll he'll start to look much more like a real, you know, bantamweight, right? He's a bantamweight now. Bantamweight now, yeah, formerly yeah, yeah, yeah. a flyweight. You know, that's one right, thing that I'm, right. I'm curious about. Obviously, on, on weigh-in day, you're weighing a, a weight class down. But, like, when you were fighting at 15 and, and then moving up to, to flyweight, what was your fight weight? different like were, were you actually significantly uh bigger at, at 125 when you would weigh in than than you were when you were fighting at, at 15 or were you approximately within the same amount of you know pounds from from weigh into fight time uh, i think at 15 i was uh walking about one around 135 uh come fight night so i would put on wow. 20 pounds wow. which is a lot that's a lot of weight to put back on and have your body kind of get used to the other thing that weight cuts that, that not many people take into um, consideration is, yes, you're just losing muscle or excuse me, you're losing water weight and then yeah. you're putting back on water and food. But like, think about what you're doing to the organs. The organs take seven days to heal and recover. So a lot of times we're as fighters, we're not recovered from the weight cut, especially if you've had a big cut. Right. And you have a big, you know, a big intense one. So it kind of takes your body. I know for me, even after a fight, usually I'm, I'm, I hold on to water. I'm swollen my, uh, my feet, my hands, like my whole body swollen for at least a week to 10 days after a weight cut, because my body's adjusting, adjusting to the nutrition, the water, the food, um, and the sodium levels. So I think that, you know, for me fighting at 25, I, I only put on maybe five to seven pounds. And then at 25, though, or 15, I was putting on 20, 20 pounds minimum, 15 to 20 pounds minimum uh, walking into fight night. So it does. It plays a big it does play a big difference in whether you're the heavier, you're the bigger fighter or the smaller fighter. Right. Um, let's talk about uh, another change, because <laughs> both of these athletes, uh, Paiva and, and Phillips included, uh, did experience a change going from a, a featured bout on the card to being elevated to the co-main event. Now, uh, nothing changed as far as, you know, rounds or not more rounds in a co-main event than a, uh, a regular featured fight, at least more often than not. If you're Nate Diaz, it might change. 
but uh, one thing I will say is the the spotlight is different. Your your walk is different. Everything is is different. It's later into the night. Um, do you think that impacted the way either of these guys performed tonight, or is that just something that talking heads like me try to build into the narrative and say, oh, it's different? You know, I, it, it it all depends on the athlete. I I truly believe a, a wholeheartedly that for every athlete, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to what you are going to allow to deteriorate you and distract you from your goals that night. And if you allow something like co-main event to, to kind of affect you or put that pressure on, then it's going to. But if you walk in, guess what? It's still the same walk. You're still right. walking the exact same way in. You're warming up. Fight night is the exact same. You still have a, an opponent across the cage from you that you're locked inside of an octagon with that's coming to take your head off. It's, it's exactly the same, whether it's co-main event, featured fight, or featured bout, all of that, it's, it boils down to the same 15 minutes. Now, whether or not that affects you and you allow for that pressure is, is up to the athlete, and it's up, it's up to the fighter. For me, I've had both situations. I've had them where I've allowed for small things like that to affect my focus, to affect how I fought that night or, or where I was actually, you know, put pressure on myself. And there's been fights that things happen where you're like, oh, my God, you would you my aunt, like my corner fell down and like fell down right in front of me as I'm walking to the cage. And, you know, you just got to you got to take your walk. You got to choose how you walk and, and how you handle your situations. And so my poor aunt, you know, she hurt herself, but we made it to the fight. Did you tell her to like rub some dirt on it or like what? <laughs> Or were you at least sympathetic, Pearl? <laughs> no, I can't fucking walk it. I of course. I right now. I love that. I, I had to walk. I love that. She was good. She made it. She made it. I'm, uh, she's durable. She's quite durable. <laughs> Uh, look at looking at our uh, Twitch chat. I mean, people are still just really up in arms about this this fight, and I understand yeah. the decision because you know, I mean, TJ Dillashaw might fight for a title next. Corey Sanhagen is probably going to have to have uh, another fight if he wants to get back into that that immediate title uh, picture. But again, I, argue all you want, but I I don't think you're going to be able to convince me that this fight was a robbery in any way, shape. Or form. Yeah. It was a hell of a fight. One that, I mean, we're, we're all winners. I think Brendan Fitzgerald said that. Uh, you know, there's a winner and a loser. You know, money's going to be exchanged. Uh, win bonuses hand, handed out. But no one really lost in this fight. And uh, the fans especially uh, did not lose. So uh, if you have something else to talk about, people, drop it in the Twitch chat because we'd love to get well, to your saying? questions. I don't know. I mean, Frankie and Steve, our producers, just telling me that they're just bitching with one another. Like, we get it. Oh, that, we get yeah, it. Yeah, no, I. This is what I think about when you go to this fight and you look at it, there are the strikes, the, the damage, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the positioning. Yeah. Let's just look at the positioning. Look at, look at the amount of positions that, that TJ Dillashaw had and, and kept compared to what Sanhagen had right. and kept. There's no arguing there. And I think that that was a big deciding factor. Right. And, and get, getting back to the criteria, that's what you're supposed to defer to when the fight is too close. It, it go, again, right. effective striking and grappling. And then if that's a wash, then you go with aggression. If that's a wash, then you go with control. And, you know, again, we're freshly removed from this fight. But when I think back in yeah. my head, I think Dillashaw was in control a bit more often than Sandhagen was. was. And, and, and that's another thing, though, too, is, you know, he, Corey was going for those Granby roles and, and trying to get multiple sort of unorthodox uh, positions positions to do what he wanted to do uh you could say that that is him being aggressive but when the end result is tj being in a better position you know that that's what's so hard about mixed martial arts and, and scoring is the smallest of details can be so influential for judges yes and you know i think the grambies the grambies and the inversions that he was he was doing I really don't count those as necessarily bad. I thought that they were actually, they kept him out of a lot of dangerous positions. I think it was perfect. The scrambling was, was perfect uh, tonight where I do think that, that he fell short was the amount of times that TJ Dillashaw Shaw got to his back against the fence. Right. He had his back several times and, and let's just, let's just define having the back. It's your head behind their elbow behind their shoulder so if you go back to that fight and you look at it, TJ Dillashaw had his, his arms locked around his waist. So he had the, the body lock and his head was behind his shoulder and elbow every single round for more than just a couple seconds. 
They, right. He was there multiple times. And I think in those positions, which we also talked about in the beginning of the week, how TJ is so effective in the transition. This is a transitioning position. He's going from striking to grappling. So this, yep. is, a, this is one of those positions. And he was able to capitalize on that tonight. He was getting past the elbow, getting past that shoulder, and getting to the back. Corey kind of hung out there. He was like, uh, I'm not in danger. He, you know, he had his hands and his head on the fence here. He wasn't taking much damage. There was no 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 uh, submission attacks there. So he was. It was a breather. It was a time right. for him to, him to breathe. And I think in those positions is where he needed to scramble and just just create a little bit more. What's the word? Uh, not aggression, but like uh, what's the word? Like create more opportunity. That opportunity. It's like um, not assertiveness, but you need to create more. initiative. Yes, like initiative. Not really, but okay. We'll use that word initiative to to get past that position to turn and face him to go face to face to get off the fence right just change transition he had to keep to put more emphasis on the transition and it was it was seconds we're talking we're we're judging seconds which is so but that's how close this fight was really you have to really break it down to that you know really um and yeah, so that's that's my argument with that. Uh, I was just gonna I say, hope. if you're in the Twitch chat and you're arguing about decisions, uh, I think there's stuff to argue about. I just don't think it's in the main event. Let's talk about <laughs> this uh, flyweight fight. The future Macy Barber got her hand raised when she took on Miranda Maverick. This was a fight through ten minutes that I thought Miranda Maverick did more than enough to solidify her status as the victor in this fight going into the third round. I thought that Macy Barber was going to need to uh, to really pull out something uh, big to get her, her hand raised, but that was uh, not the case. The judges uh, side the way uh, of Macy Barber. She gets a split decision 29-28 twice uh, to Miranda Mavericks won 29-28 card um, looking at MMADecisions.com it's one of my favorite resources on fight night it takes all the uh, MMA media that are out giving their scorecards on social media and collects it there were 22 media scores turned in for uh, this fight how many do you think sided with Miranda Maverick 22 22. Maybe 20? 22. All of the media scores scored about 29-28 for Miranda Maverick. And I know judges have a very hard uh, job in front of them, but I didn't think this was one of those hard jobs, Pearl. No no disrespect to Macy Barber. She definitely rallied and came on strong in the third, but from a, a point standpoint, I didn't think this fight was winnable for her heading into that third round, and she most definitely didn't take a 10-8 over Miranda Maverick. So uh, I was pretty surprised when the judges uh, sided with Macy Barber. You know, it, it was definitely that closing round that uh, I'm sure made the biggest impression. She looked great. She looked like the uh, fresher fighter. She was coming. She was landing good strikes. That's when she landed that big spin, that big spinning back elbow. Um, the second round I thought was, it was close. It was close. I agree. I do believe that Miranda took that round. She had that takedown in there. But at the same time, uh, so did uh, Macy. Macy had a takedown in the second round as well, and Macy kind of rallied. She started to rally coming into the later part of that second round. So it was a close round. I believe that Miranda took the took the edge in that second. Um, she had great positioning. She landed that big takedown when she needed to, when she was weathering the storm. But she slowed down in that third round. And she let off the gas. I thought that she would. She was going to grapple there. I right. thought that that would have been a perfect opportunity for her to slow the fight down and get Macy down on the ground and kind of just slow the fight. She knows how to do that very well. She knows how to control and, and, and take the tempo of the fight. But that's where we see Macy and her skills shine. Is she did not allow for uh, for Miranda to to come in and and fight her fight in that third round. She refused to accept it, and she set the pace in that third round. One thing I will say, um, I, I agree with you. If we were scoring on maybe like a, a pride type of, of rule set, which I absolutely hate because that's just code for saying I don't want to show my math and I can just pick a winner. The 10-point must system, whether it's flawed or not, you at least have to show your work. But Dominic Cruz said tonight, well, it's clear the judges look more at that third round than anything. That might be true, but that's not how math works unless it was a 10-8 round. Like, you turn in your scorecard after every round, and if you believed that Miranda Maverick won the second round, she's going to win this fight unless she drops a 10-7 round in the third where she could lose the fight. Or uh, you're talking about... 
a, a draw at, at the worst. But uh, that is, uh, I think, a misconception in a lot of ways. But it, it does seem like if you have success in the latter part of a fight, it just seems to go your way more often than not. And I don't know why. You know, I think that uh, as fighters, I know that for me and, and my training in my past, we always wanted to put a stamp on the ending of the round because that's what the judge remembers going into that next round. And, um, Macy, Macy did, she came out and she, they had some really good back and forth exchanges. Um, and that third round is where she really came in and, and was, was dominant. Now, was she a 10, eight? No, but she was definitely dominant and, and showed that she was, you know, the better fighter for that round. I think that Miranda came in and did that in the first round. Um, and so it, to me, ultimately left it up to that second round. And the second round was very close. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with the decision, but that's, if you want to look at it in a way where you're not, you know, judging it in that way, you could see where the judge would consider Macy to win, but I don't agree with it. I mean, I, I think my biggest takeaway with this one is Miranda Maverick just let off the gas for whatever reason. You know, I thought she was going to go into that grapple mode and, and, and sort of solidify the, the, the fight by getting a takedown and maybe controlling position, but she didn't and credit to Macy Barber for doing enough and, and getting uh, her hand raised. We'll see mm -hmm. what happens with uh, both of these athletes moving forward. Uh, it was a good fight for Miranda Maverick in a lot of ways, but uh, tonight belongs to uh, Macy Barber. This show belongs thing, to you, by the way. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. One thing I will say though, is I said this on when, uh, when Thursday night, this isn't the, the first and only fight we'll see. These, these right. ladies will meet again Yeah, and maybe again, uh, they're just, you know, they're that close in um, talent and skills and age. And both of these ladies are here for the long run. So right. we will see these ladies fight again. Absolutely. I mean, we, we talked about it like they could really honestly be in the UFC for the next 10 years. Like that's not right. that's not hyperbole. So uh, as I was saying, this show really belongs to you, the viewers on Twitch and Facebook. You can ask us uh, questions and, and dictate the flow and, and where we take this show. And uh, it's time to go out to the uh, Twitch line. I get we, we need to come up with a name for this. I don't I don't know what. But this would be like uh, the the uh, twitch us. Or are we twitching? That that sounds. Never mind. Let's just click the button. See what people have uh, for us. The question from the Gonzo. He says, "What goes through an athlete's mind during the walk and stepping into the cage?" You know that that's interesting because I've heard athletes Pearl really say that the walk is sometimes the most enjoyable part uh, of the fight. What's going through your mind when you're walking out there to uh, get inside the cage? You know, it depends. It depends on where I'm at. I think that over the years and, and, and through experience, I've really learned to own and hone this moment because as a fighter, as an athlete and the, the sport that we are in, you never know when this is your last walk. And the feeling that you feel when you walk inside of an arena or you walk inside of wherever you are and there is a crowd or there isn't a crowd, right? right. You're walking through you don't know what's on the other side, you know, regardless of how much better you think you are than your opponent or, or whatnot, you still don't know. You walk into this with the future untold and you don't know it's 50, 50. So you have that feeling of uncertainty already in you. And usually your stomach's messed up. You're, you're queasy. Um, and you just, you're, you're breathing. If you're not focused on your breathing, you're not really breathing well at this point, but, um, for me, I think I go in there and I think about my why. My why is very important. Why am I here? What am I fighting for? And I remind myself in that moment, the, the, the small things that, that make me wake up every morning and want to be the best fighter that I can be. Um, and I remind myself of those things. Then you have like crazy moments. Like I've had moments like, uh, where you're like, Oh wow, look at, look at that. That girl has on a nice dress or, uh, oh, look at the, the ring announcer. Did the ring, the ring announcer just totally fucked up my, my record. Like you, there's small little things. And then you're looking at your opponent and you're like, this bitch is looking at me crazy. Oh, she's giving me a dirty look or like, you know, there's just those type of things that are happening. I need water. I'm thirsty. Um, right. you know, so there's so many small things, but ultimately the, the big picture is for me, I've always fought better when I'm not thinking, okay, keep your head down, chin down, right hand up, you know, right. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. When I don't think that way, when I go in there free of anything other than I am in this moment, I'm embracing, I am so grateful to be here. Who knows if this is my last one, 
but I'm going to just soak and absorb all of this shit up right now. And you just feel like a million dollars. You really do. You feel like you're on top of the world with the crowd, the lights, the cameras. And uh, I turn it off. I turn it off. I'm See, not thinking anymore. You, you do it right. I've you know had the, the pleasure of being around you during fight week and, and calling your fights. And I, I will say that of all the athletes that I have been around, Fight week is like an experience for you. Yes, you're there to do work, but you enjoy every bit of it. Even even some of the like more unenjoyable moments. Like no one likes cutting weight, but you always seem to have a, a positive attitude. At least you're outwardly nice to everybody. When you were forced to sit down and do interviews with me, you were you know in the middle of that weight cut, and you were always uh, kind and pleasant. And it, it felt like fight week was a bit of a reward for you. Like you you would take it in. Yes, you were there to work, but like you said, you never know if it's the last one you got to go out there and, and have it have and enjoy the experience yeah and the truth is is that you only have so many decisions you can make in a day there's only only so many things you can focus on there's only so many things that you can stress about and, and making those decisions what do i what am i going to put my energy on because i only have so much right and for me fight week uh i am shut down my lights usually my room is dark it's cold there's no TVs on. I'm usually sleeping more than half of the time. I'm just preserved. I'm almost hibernating and preparing for my war. And then, and then it's, you know, I come out for media day. I'll have to come out, you know, in the small things. But other than that, I shut everything down and I just, uh, I, I allow my body to prepare. Now it took me 15 years to get here before you, there's a million and one things you want right. to do and, and you choose to, to focus on and stress out about so some fighters are still figuring that out. And I see that. I see that in, in, in different parts of the career. Now, the fighters that really have it down and are dialed in, you see that in their performance. They come out, they dominate. They come out and you see them. They're on a goal and they, they accomplish their goal. Um, and uh, so it all depends. It all depends on what type of fighter and personality you have. Yeah, that's one thing, too. I've always admired athletes that will take a, a nap like in the back right before their fight. Like, how do you fall asleep? You're about to go in with another human being, get locked in a cage and try to kill one another. And you're taking a nap. What are you doing? Come before the storm. Sometimes you have to, but you know, that, that's something that you really only see in like long tenured veterans that get that mm -hmm. comfortable. And there's something to be said about athletes that find that success in their latter part of their career. And that's exactly what I think about when I think about the damage, Darren Elkins, this guy has been fighting for a very, very long time. And yes, he, he relies on his durability a little bit when it comes to, uh, you know, fighting and doing what he needs to do to get the win. But, but I don't know if he would be able to fall back on that durability because it requires an immense amount of composure. And I don't know if the 23-year-old Darren Elkins would be able to have that type of composure. But where he's at in his career now, I mean, my goodness, he, he truly is proving that uh, the damage is a lot more than just a nickname. Oh, my gosh. And he's 37 years old. He looks fantastic. He really does. And you're right. That that's that's veteran. Shit. V veteranship. Yes. Good job. <laughs> I, I was there that's, to like throw you the lifeline, but you you ended up finishing it there at the end. It's good. That's veteranship there. Yeah. Um. To to be able to do what he did tonight, you know, and 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 just you weather the storm, and and it boils down to seconds because the fight happened so fast. I I explain it. I can't explain it enough. Imagine getting into a car crash. If you have not been into a fight or a professional fight, get in, when you get into the car crash or right before you get into a car crash, when your heart falls down to your ass and you're like, <clears throat> like that's what a fight feels like over and over and right. over and over again. Yeah. And so to be able to not <clears throat> and freeze in those moments and to, you're still breaking, you're still feeling the nerves. You still right. feel it no matter what. But to be able to control your body, your breathing, your mind, and just weather and watch it in slow motion really is experience and time. And it's practice. It happens in training. You practice it in sparring. You practice it in your drills. You practice it in your visualization. You practice it in your strength and conditioning. I mean, that's really learning and honing and mastering your craft. And he has truly mastered being calm under pressure, calm under chaos. Yeah, and that's one thing I think, you know, uh, opponents of Darren Elkins moving forward, they're going to have to know, like, if you are finding success, yeah, try to go for the kill, try to get the finish, but if you don't, 
do not spend all of your gas because he's going to come back with some damage of his own. And, you know, Darren Elkins may be down in a fight, but he is never out, never out of the fight. Absolutely. I mean, and something like that, you'd have to look at is when and where do you where do you try to attack? If you can't just come out and outright finish someone like that, you have to attack when because usually when you're calm and you're composed and then you reset and you go. So you have to time and, 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 and figure out the timing of their own breathing rhythm and try to shut it down that way. I mean, it's, it just comes down to even small, tiny things, rhythm and breaking rhythm to, to offset this opponent, to get them out of their fight game. Um, and it is, it's, it's such an interesting chess game. And that's, that's why, you know, so many people love this sport. You know, speaking of down and not out, that is exactly what Adrian Yanez was tonight because in the first mm-hmm. round against Randy Costa, it, it looked like Costa was going to jab his head off. Like he was, you know, firing on all cylinders, really taking the fight to, to Adrian Yanez. But Yanez came back in the, in the second round and, and proved that, look, there, there's a lot more to him. Uh, you know, even when he's down, he can come back and, and take the fight away. And, and that's what he did. I'm curious in your mindset, though, what was it about this fight that was able to swing it towards the way of, of Adrian Yanez because, you know, looking at, at Costa, he, he was doing a really, really good job, and then he started to fade. And sometimes I worry when fights go that way that they're going to say that Randy Costa lost this fight rather than Adrian Yanez winning this fight. What do you think was the breakdown, and why was it Yanez that was able to get his hand raised uh, at the end of the night? You know, that boils down to the calm under chaos. I really do believe that uh, Co- Costa, Costa or Costa, Costa, matter? Costa, he looked fantastic tonight. And I told you, I mentioned this. One of his biggest strengths was putting his hands to feet yeah. and transitioning from his boxing to his yep. kicks. And holy smokes, did you see those head kicks that uh, were landing? Unbelievable. Whew, those were intense. And I mean, he was just whipping them up there. It was a jab and then you the kick. It was just as fast as his right hand. I mean, he really does have beautiful technique and beautiful striking. Um, and he showcased it. You, you talked about that jab, like, Oh my God, that jab was just ate up that ate up Yanez. And what are, yeah, it was Yanez. Yanez, um, Yanez, what I was, what I saw in that first round is he was frustrated. Yeah. Without a a doubt. When there was a point when he like threw something and it didn't work and he was like, (sighs) and he was and the Costa guys like what? Right. And, it wasn't that he was mad at Costa for moving. He's that's him fighting himself in that moment. Right. He was fr- he was clearly frustrated in that fight. So Costa did a great job of taking him out of his ga- out of his game and implementing what he wanted to implement. What Giannis did though, I think that he just really went back to his corner. He reset. He maybe took a couple of deep breaths and was like, "Shit, look, my frustration is not going to get me anywhere." I got to fucking focus. Right. And that's what happens very easily in a fight is your, your focus energy or your, your uh, assertive energy can turn very quickly into frustration and anger and right. anxiety. And then you, now you start making decisions based off of emotion. Right. And now you're, you're doing unlikely and uncharacteristic things in the fight because you're, you're, you're acting upon emotion off of emotion. No, no, I I completely get what you're saying. And and that's the thing too, that I think a lot of people really fail to realize is yeah, you're fighting your opponent, but if things go sideways, you're fighting yourself in so many ways, which is why uh, a solid, strong and honest corner is so vital to athletes fighting Mm -hmm. at this high stage. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, some athletes just need to sit down in that stool in between rounds and they'll come out a completely different human being mentally. Yes, and I I believe that Yanez's corner did a great job with him. They did a great job coming from that first to second round. You heard them. I don't remember the exact words that they they said, but they were like, "Hey, hey!" Like they they really were like kind of like, "Wake up, it's okay." Right. You know, breathe, take a deep breath, chill. It's you know, and he I, I forgot what he was asking. He was kind of frantic and in a frantic and frustrated state. But they did a great job of of dealing with that and. It was interesting. I, I, I want to watch that fight again. Was there a body shot? Was there was there something that was that hit Costa um, a couple seconds or a few seconds before that might have caused the fight to kind of just immediately he immediately deteriorated? Right. I, I need to watch it again to kind of break down what happened because it did. He was he was super dominant, and then he wasn't. Yeah. It was very interesting and to it, see it, what happened. It didn't seem like he gassed out. 
either. It wasn't, I mean, he, he was very dominant, had a lot of volume in round one, but it didn't look like he uh, was was someone who was exhausted. It just seemed like the, right. the tide had changed, and Adrian Yanez, when he got that momentum on his side, he just wasn't going uh, to give it back. Another thing that was interesting is is the way that the fight was finished with um, with Costa on his knees, still covering up. Um, I didn't like the stoppage necessarily because I thought that he could move and maybe go to his back, but he wasn't intelligently defending himself, so the referee had no choice but it, it was interesting that Costa seemed to like hit a brick wall and right. couldn't react the proper way to try to break through it and you know really when it comes down to it that's what Yanez did he weathered the storm right. where Costa on the other side just couldn't it, and that boils down to when I talk about these these car crashes I keep bringing up car crashes it happens over and over again in a fight and if during this particular car crash, you don't respond very well and you kind of freeze up or you hesitate, it can cost you the fight. It's done it to me. It, it might have done it tonight for Costa, but that's what happens. It boils down to inches at times. And um, I do. I, I'd like to see that fight again and see kind of where that tide changed because it was it, 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 it happened very quickly, which makes me believe that Costa just might have been frustrated with himself. And then Yanez was smelled blood and he's like, I'm going in for the kill. I'm not letting up and hats. I can't take away from Yanez. He put on a, an incredible performance. He weathered that storm. Like you talked about, he got through that jab. That jab was a jab from hell. He figured out his way through it. He started to get past. He started to land his own jab. And then his jab became the jab of hell which was really cool to see. So he adjusted and began to use the weapon that was being used against him, against his opponent, which was really cool to watch. And then he kind of figured out, he figured his puzzle out and he capitalized. As soon as he saw, okay, this piece goes here and here and here, and this is how I'm going to connect this. He fired and he acted immediately and hats off to him for getting the finish. You uh, keep bringing up car crashes, Pearl, and I'm like wondering what your driving record looks like. <laughs> First off, I haven't been in a car accident in a very long time. Second off, I don't have a car, so I'm good. Okay, perfect. I, I'm riding around on a bike now. All right, you, you know, you don't have to answer my <laughs> questions, okay? My questions, you I don't drive, have to answer. Like, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm a grandma driver. I'm one of those drivers that, first off, I had a Mercury Grand Mar Marquis that I that I don't know. I just my my, my My wife's grandmother actually drives that car, so you are a grandmother. I, I love that car. It was my favorite car. I would take my naps in between training sessions in the back. I had a pillow. It was like a mattress. But, like, it's one of the smoothest riding cars ever. You just like a boat. See, and I, so I would cruise. I, I just went thinking <laughs> that you were maybe not a good driver to now thinking, are you homeless, Pearl? Are you living in your car? I'm just taking naps in it. I think you might live in your car, Pearl. <laughs> Uh, I do when I'm in camp, you know. It's, that's what it is. But now I'm here in New York, and I'm I'm on a bike now. All right. Well, that's, I don't have a bike. That's good. But I'm, I ride bikes now. Perfect. Um, you don't have to answer my questions, like I said, about things like that. But you do have to answer our listener questions. And we're going to go back out to our uh, Twitch line. Uh, this question from uh, the Gonzo once again: uh, How often do pre-fight game plans change during a bout? Oh, man, I that's probably an infinite <laughs> amount of times until the game plan you need starts working, right? You have to be able to adjust in the moment. And this is where it's so interesting. And this is why people, you hear so many people talk about uh, the game plan. This is why I don't make game plans. Some fighters don't like to make game plans. Some fighters, you know, stick to the game plan. I've had fights where I did not adjust well because the fight is real. It's in live motion. It's happening. You can train and, and practice someone's timing for two years and they show up in this fight and have completely different rhythm. And, and that whole game plan for the two years is out the door. Right. So I think that the game plan changes. He says pre-game, pre-game, pre-fight pre -fight game, game plan. plan. Yeah. Typically how it works is, is once you have the, uh, probably depending on the opponent, right? right? So if you have an opponent and you have them locked in for eight weeks, you kind of figure out your strengths, your weaknesses, their strengths, their weaknesses, and you work towards your advantage in the fight. And so you kind of have your game plan there. And you usually have a couple. You usually have one for the striking, you know, the wrestling, the overall, how you're going to mesh it, and then the grappling. Um, and if the fight, if the opponent changes, then the game plan can possibly change. If, if an injury occurs on an opponent, if there's something in the mindset, this is why, this is why it's so important that you have a coach that is really in tune with you. Because granted, you could have the game, this game plan where you're like the man on the mountain. And walk in on fight day and just feel like a little ant. And the game plan needs to be changed for this particular 
type of emotion shift. Yeah. So um, I think that typically the game plan doesn't shouldn't change too much before the fight where the where the the game plan really comes into effect and whether it changes and it analyzes and blah, 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 is during the fight. This is why you really have to be in the moment. You can't get caught up in your head. And when you get caught up in your head, this is where you start to fall behind and get frustrated. And, and things just things that you don't really want to happen start to happen. You have to be in the, in the moment making constant reads and constant adjustments. Yeah, I mean, the, the old uh, cliche response uh, is that old quote from Mike Tyson. You know, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, you yep. picked up on something, though, from, from the, the question from the Gonzo. How often do pre-fight game plans change? That's the real key, pre-fight. So I guess there's an answer here. It can only change once because then it's changed, right? Because once you change it, you can't change it again. I have no fucking clue what you're saying. I I don't listen to the keyword. Listen to the keyword. How often does your pre-fight game plan change? Well, it's the pre-fight game plan. So once you change it, now you're in the middle of the fight. So the pre-fight game plan, it's out the window. Can I, only change once. I mean, Never I can mind. go into a fight like a hundred times, and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and then like the next second, I'm like, no, no, no I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and you kind of do as a as a fighter. You go through every scenario in your head. You really do it, and. I, I say this when you have an opponent, especially an opponent eight weeks, six weeks out, you have a relationship with this person. Now you're, you wake up thinking about this person, you go to sleep thinking about this person. And, and, and that's really what it is for the next six to eight weeks. If so, you're focused on one person. So what you're saying is fighting makes you become a stalker. Sometimes some, some people need that. I right. personally do not. Me as a fighter, I don't like to look in personal shit. I don't look at your social media. Right. None but you, but you become obsessed with someone. You, you, they're your you constant attention. 100%. You, you build a relationship with this person. And that's why some people need this big animosity and this big thing. And then some people become friends afterwards. That's the amazing thing about the sport is you get to plan against an opponent for six to eight weeks. Like, how cool is that? Um, and, uh, I think that that's also why, like the, the post fight blues, like some people tend to get like oh, down yeah. or, or, you know, is after the fight because you don't have that, you don't have right. that thing in front of you, that person in front of you to focus on anymore. Yeah. No fighting definitely gives you a purpose. And when you don't have a date and an opponent, some people lack purpose. Um, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you're happy on this show, Pearl is my purpose and I yeah, hope you yeah, enjoyed yeah. the show. I did. I did. It was a fun Thank night you. of fights. Yeah, no, I'm going to let you go because it's, it's, it, right. this is one of those nights where we do these uh, ESPN shows where uh, we could actually like still have, well, you're on the East Coast, so maybe not so much for you, but like I can go home and hang out with my family. It's only 8.30 here on the West Coast. No, snaps. Well, you have a good night. I'm going to bed. I'm so tired. I've been nonstop all day. So you have a great night. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. And man, what a great night of fights. All right. Good. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you, I think, uh, next week. Uh, we got another uh, yes. fight card coming up with uh, Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. So. Oh, man. What a fun one. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Bye, Pearl. Bye. There she is, Pearl Gonzalez, here on Extra Rounds. Uh, we are not done yet. We got a little bit more to do before we bounce. So uh, stick around. On the other side, we'll wrap things up. It's Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass. And my heart just dropped because I instantly knew. TJ Dillashaw tested positive for a serious performance-enhancing substance. TJ Dillashaw has now been suspended by USADA for two years. This is disgusting. I can't say it enough. I messed up. This is who I am. I'm a fighter. And uh, I'm about to find my way to this one. No one knew. No one, not any of my training partners, none of my coaches. I guess with the pressure on myself of wanting to be the best, I blinded myself from the actual reality of what could happen. He lost two years in the prime of his career. He's going to have to compete and live the rest of his life with this stigma. I don't think he wants to end on that type of note. He needs to get back out there. I'll be coming back and I'll be a three-time UC champ. There's no way you can deny me from that. Hearing that Lee Murray was attached to one of the biggest bank heists in the history of the world, you're not surprised. He was fearless. When we're going to have a fight, my job is to have a level playing field to make sure everything is done by the rules. I want to be remembered as one of the greatest female fighters. It's for my country, it's for my family. All the things that have happened to me have happened because of fighting. So, fighting's life. My brother got diagnosed with cancer. He passed away. So now I want to give the best I can in this life. 
其实我心里面都是觉得，就是觉得一个小火苗就没有灭。作为一个 MMA 运动员。Ladies and gentlemen, what a phenomenal night of fights! Oh, oh God, what a knockout! Huge right hand. No other sport could give you this many moments. So many good things over at UFC Fight Pass. That fight lore about Lee Murray. I cannot wait to watch that one. You are signed up for UFC Fight Pass, right? UFCFightPass.com. It's the biggest no-brainer in all of combat sports when it comes to your entertainment needs. So make sure you do that. Uh, which reminds me, tomorrow, uh, Fury 48 going down at 2.30 uh, Pacific. That's 5.30 in the East. So uh, if you're still craving more live action, it is available for you uh, tomorrow over on UFC Fight Pass. Not to mention, like, if you want to go relive all of the greatest highlights, maybe even lowlights in combat sports history, it's all there for you over at UFC Fight Pass. Uh, press conference from tonight as well. Everything over at UFC Fight Pass. Plus the archive of extra rounds. Myself, Pearl Gonzalez, Dean Thomas, Ray Longo. I think we're on episode 78 at this point. So 77 other episodes lying in wait for you. Go over, sign up right now. UFCFightPass.com. Also, if you want to listen to the show on podcast, you can download it anywhere. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, the Google Play Store. Just go sign up. Do a search for uh, UFC Fight Pass or Extra Rounds. We're going to be back one week from tonight for uh, Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. They are uh, taking the Octagon, a pivotal fight that you need to watch coming up uh, again one week from tonight. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. Boxing headed your way on Thursday from uh, Los Mochis in Sinaloa, Mexico. Uh, I'll be down there on the call, so hopefully you will tune in uh, for that. Cage Warriors coming stateside next weekend, too. So uh, Fight Pass is the place to be if you're a real combat sports fan. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. Like, if you call yourself a fight fan and you don't have UFC Fight Pass, that's something to think about. Correct yourselves, people. UFCFightPass.com, again, the biggest no-brainer in all of combat sports. Want to thank Pearl Gonzalez for coming on the air, staying up late on the East Coast tonight, breaking down this TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sandhagen fight. What a night of action. And if you're just somehow tuning in right now, it is TJ Dillashaw that was able to get it done by the narrowest of margins. A split decision goes his way. Uh, 48-47, twice, one scorecard for Corey Sandhagen. But it is the former Bantamweight King reigning supreme, getting it done for the first time in over two years. Dillashaw is back in a big way. We'll see what is next for him moving forward. For Pearl Gonzalez, I am TJ DeSantis. Thanks for staying up late. Thanks for going a few extra rounds here on UFC Fight Pass. We'll chat soon. from UFC Fight Pass is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.